values to us or to me are not like one word, you know, trust, integrity, those sort of things. I think values are behaviors actually. Um, and so we like to find the behaviors that we wanted to be known for and stand for. I'm excited to continue our conversation now hearing more about your journey tell me where did where did your story begin and how did you get to where you are today yeah um, so I started my career in tech um, you know I'm 42 years old I'm a technologist at heart I love technology um, rode through the dot-com boom working for some of the biggest banks insurance companies and sort of the you know, um, big end of town, I guess, in, in Australia. Um, I was in the kind of the cybersecurity space, actually, before it was called cybersecurity. Um, you know, if you remember the dot-com days, you know, there was kind of, there was a little bit of um, um, mystique around, you know, securing, you know, the network and all of that stuff. So, just cut my teeth there. I uh, started a business with uh, three of my colleagues at the time and, yeah, we built a really great um, company uh, down there and we, you know, had an opportunity to, you know, take an exit. So after a few years, so that was, it was a different world back then. The cloud was not the cloud. <laughs> I guess the internet was around, but it was a different place. Um, and so I, I thought that was, that was InfraWorks. No. So they, this was the segue into, into InfraWorks. So that was ThinkSecure okay. was the company okay. that we started. Um I had a chance to um, kind of reset after the exit and um, I, I was really kind of tossing up what to do. Went and did a little bit of travel with my wife. We were lucky to take some time off. Um, and, you know, that was where the idea of InfraWorks came from. A friend of mine uh, came to me and said, look, I've got this great idea. There's a ton of uh, big projects that are forecast that have government uh, funding um, committed. Um why don't we start a construction business together? You can be the, you can be the business guy. I'll be the construction guy and we'll go out and try and build a company. And that was really where the company started from. That was in 2007. Um, and so, you know, for, for a number of years, I was like literally learning all I could possibly learn about running a construction company and trying to build it. Um, I, I, I got my truck license. I got my excavation. Like I literally can operate, not very well, I might say, but I can operate, uh, you know, a lot of our machinery that we own. And um, yeah, we got to 2013. So we were sort of six or seven years into it. And I just literally noticed that it was kind of embarrassing being an old school tech guy that I hadn't actually put any tech into my own business. Like we put an accounting system in, we'd put an estimating system in, but we were using like spreadsheets and manual process. Um, and so I said to my, my business partner, um, we got to do something about this because all of the crew, all of the workers have got mobile phones. They've got Android phones or iPhones. They're actually starting to send us data. Like we haven't even asked them for it, but they're, they, they, they're tired of paperwork. And so let's go find a platform. And, you know, that was where, that was where the kind of the journey began. I'd say that was in, maybe mid 2013 and I started to look for a product on market and I, I just couldn't find one. Um, I couldn't find, you know, a single system of record, something that would really kind of empower the crews to, you know, continue to keep building. Cause that's how I make money down there. We make money by building projects, uh, but it's really important to get that data from the field. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of the genesis of, uh, of the company. Now, um, Asino, did, did you, uh 
you fund it yourself? Did you get VC funding? How did you get that started? Yeah, we've, we've taken some VC funding on, um, uh, recently we, we did well recently we did a re- we did our last round. We did a series a in, uh, two, uh, two years ago. Yeah. About two years ago. Uh, we'll be out raising a series B in, uh, probably Q1 I'd say of 2020. So, you know, we've had really, really strong growth, good unit economics, but in the, in the early, early days, yeah, it was bootstrapped. We, we let some friends and family, you know, come in early as well. They kept bugging me to, you know, invest. And so, um, cause all I kept talking about was this software company that we'd started. So, um, yeah, we, we, we got some friends and family involved and some business associates as well. It's, it's a really great, it's a really great cap table. Is there, um, any lessons learned or things that you would have done differently or you, you actually glad you did and want someone else and recommend someone else to do when, as far as funding and getting started? God, I could, I could go on about things I would do differently for hours. (laughs) That's a, that's a loaded question. Um, God, what would I do differently? I think um, I, in the early days, one sort of lesson for us, I didn't, and this was more of a market kind of um, the viewpoint. I didn't think that contractors were out looking for software like I was. Um, so we didn't invest as heavily in kind of demand generation marketing. Um, as crazy as it sounds in 2014, 2015. Um, that's something I would do differently because um, they were looking for it, it turns out. Um, the other kind of a thing, um, I'd be like really clear. One thing I think we did really well at the beginning was articulate our sort of, um, you know, mission, vision, value set, um, values to us or to me are not like one word, you know, trust, integrity, those sort of things. I think values are behaviors actually. Um, and so we'd like to find the behaviors that we wanted to be known for and stand for and um, getting people to buy into that when you're trying to recruit talent, you know, and trying to identify. So like uh, a good example, um, I stole this from one of my old bosses was, um, you know, around being transparent and, you know, honest. Um, don't, you know, bad news doesn't get better with time. So if you have bad news with, with um, a feature set or a problem, go talk to the customer immediately about it. Like it doesn't get any, you know, so sort of we, we, we um, defined some of those things early on and that's helped us recruit really, really well. Continuing on that, that thought of building your, your team, um, what is it like to, to, to develop from just a couple people and to then to grow it from there? Any tactics that you've used to, that you would recommend? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really hard because your company ch- changes almost on a monthly basis, you know, and one of the things that Marco is my co-founder, Marco and I, like we still talk about it at our all hands is just the culture that we created can be easily diluted, you know, as you're hiring and bringing new people in. And so we really put an effort into the recruitment process, making sure there's real clarity on what we stand for as a company, as, as people, as team members. And then the onboarding process really kind of drives, drives that. Um, I think that's really important because even if you're, a, you know, especially in the early days, if you're a team of 10, you know, going to 15, um, or, or 20, I mean, that's, you've doubled and that can dilute your culture by 50%. And culture is, is values. It's, it's how you respond to customers. It's how 
fast you, how hard you, you work and drive towards, you know, delivering value for customers or solving their problems. Um, so that's something that we still talk about, you know, from a, uh, you know, at every all hands, it's really important is maintaining the culture. It's, it's a little harder now with COVID and everyone being remote, but I feel like we've sort of, you know, adapted, you know, the culture's definitely shifting, but you know, it's, uh, um, it's still, how big is the, the, how big is the team today? Yeah. So we're about 60 people. Um, all over. Yeah. All over. We've got, I think about 25 in the U S now. Um, most of them are here in Colorado and then we've got, uh, Nashville, San Antonio, Houston, San Francisco, everywhere. And then the rest are in Sydney and we've got them regionally in Sydney and, and other cities in Australia as well. What's your plans as far as COVID wise going forward with the team of how are you going to, you going to bring people back to the office? Are you going to be all remote? I mean, any thoughts there? Yeah. Oh, I read a ton about that. We went remote really early um, into it actually. Um, sort of late February because especially in Australia, we were hearing, a lot about the outbreak in, in China. It's a little closer to, to home down there. Um, remotes worked really well, but we just found that the sort of the honeymoon wore off um, pretty quickly, I'd say, especially with lockdown. You know, people were, couldn't, couldn't work out when should I start or stop work. And we were finding people were working crazy, ridiculous hours on the weekend, late night, early morning. Um, and so that's kind of eased up a little bit, which is great. Um, but one of the things that we decided to do was sort of go with a hybrid style model, I think. And so we got really intentional around not just company get togethers, you know, getting together for a happy hour at the end of each month or that type of thing. But, um, you know, sales teams get together at least twice a month in person where we can, um, engineering does their standups, you know, in person, you know, twice a month. So we've got sort of a program where people know, you know, what the cadence is there. And then, you know, we've made, you know, sort of co-working spaces and things like that available for some of the team that, you know, maybe live in a smaller apartment or just, you know, have been working off the kitchen table for, you know, for months now. Um, I just think, you know, we sort of tried to, I, I heard a lot of like, just go full remote. You know, the hybrid model doesn't work for us. It's working really, really well, I would say. It'd be interesting to see how everyone shifts forward. So I'm always curious to hear it may work different for each company as you, as you stated yeah. and for depending on the size, shifting gears a little bit on this growth over the past uh, six, seven years. Um, any thoughts you can share of uh, client wise on, so coming away from team for a moment, how do you get those first few clients and customers on the platform and using it um, to just get it started? Yeah. Um, for, for, for us, it was really tough because I was in Australia, in Sydney, and I was, it was tough to sell into a competitor, for example. Um, and, you know, in the early days that would come up, the uh, prospects and customers were nervous because I was a contractor still, and I still own a contracting business down there. Uh, that's not a problem anymore. And you can, you know, we went through, um, the ISO 27001 security um, certification early on, you know, very, very, and we would share that with prospects and just give them confidence that, no, I'm not actually looking at the data. I, this is my company. I don't, I don't care about the data from other contractors and um, that, that wouldn't be appropriate. Um, it was really hard. I mean, I was, 
I was selling deals early on. Um, I was relying on my network quite heavily in the early days. Uh, when we hired our first two sales reps, um, I was really in a supportive role for those guys, like a, a sales engineer, I guess. How many years in was that? Did you hire your first two? Uh, we, we, we built, we actually, I mean, we started the company in mid 2014, but we didn't start selling with reps until we built the product for a year and a half. So beginning of 2016, I would say, um, or thereabouts. And so, yeah, I, it was hard because there's a lot of, um, you know, language terminology that's unique to the construction industry. So I played a really strong supporting role with the reps. I still do. Um, they can't keep me out of deal. So I like to be involved. I get, I, I, uh, I think I'm a sales guy somewhere deep down there, but, um, it's really tough. And then I think it's, it doesn't just recognizing that it doesn't end at the, when you close, win the deal, you've got to make sure that the customer is really happy. Like the full, think about the full journey or life cycle of the customer. If you can turn them into an advocate, if you can turn them into a case study, someone that's referenceable, that's so much more powerful than, you know, me trying to tell you why you should buy software from me. Like go hear it from 10 of our customers and I think we've done a pretty good job of, uh, you know, creating, creating great customer stories, which in turn turn into case studies. That's powerful, both the understanding that it's not just make the sale, but that whole journey that they're on, that they stick around with it and capturing those stories and, and continue to share it. Going from just that, that few customers, then getting salespeople, um, any tactics you found work well as far as marketing or sales to, to then scale and to really to, to raise up a lot the, the quantity of your whole client base. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you heard me say earlier that I wish we started the demand gen marketing earlier. <laughs> um, if I could wind back the clock, that's like one big thing I would do differently. Um, yeah. I think that's worked really well. Produce um, content, you know, like really know, know who your customer is. Uh, in the early days, it's really easy to sell outside of the profile, especially in a small market like Australia, you know, where you, you know, it's a, you know, the U S is like 15 times the size of Australia, just to give you some perspective. So it's very tempting in a small market to sell to maybe not the right fit um, customer. Um, and your product doesn't quite fit them. And then you're tempted to change your product and then it just gets diluted. The roadmap gets dragged sideways. And yeah, it's just, I mean, we made all of those mistakes early on. That was uh, that was painful. We're very disciplined. I would say now, um, you know, we, we don't sell anything other than what we have. We will share the roadmap. We'll show them what the future looks like, but we won't promise them that it's going to be there when we stand the system up for them. Um, yeah, but I think um, also like, you know, how, how do you kind of um, create that demand or volume? I think content for our customers is, is really powerful. They love not only hearing other customer stories, but give them some relevance, show them what other contractors are doing to solve, you know, problem point a b or c and create some content around this content that. like just blog content are you writing oh, it do they write it how, videos or what kind of all of that all, yeah all of the above all of the above um and you know do webinars get customers to host i mean literally right now as we're recording this um we've got a customer advisory panel that's happening um you know on another zoom call somewhere so you know like get really active and engaged because if you have those champions if you have customers maybe even if they're at risk um, get them involved early um, and show them that, you know, 
the way we build software is it's not static. We're not going to send you an update once every six months or 12 months. We iterate fast and you can help influence some of those decisions that we're making. We want to learn from you. Um, you know, you create content around that and contractors, you know, in our space want to be heard. They want to understand that, um, you know, they don't just have to buy a one size fits all uh, type platform. And if it doesn't fit, I'm not going to buy it. So um, that's worked really well for us. Um, we kind of followed the, the HubSpot demand gen sort of playbook that, that worked really, really well and continues to work really well for us. So I think if you can sort of get the mix right, um, you've got a few levers to pull to really sort of drive, drive demand. Do you sh- see any of this shifting now with COVID and, and the way cons- your customers and the way they think and want to learn and reach out? How is that going to oh. change going forward? Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really great, that's a very astute uh, question actually for our profile because um, pre-COVID, um, our customers would want you to drive out to their office, buy them a cup of coffee. They want to stare at the whites of your eyes and shake your hand before they sign the contract. And then COVID happened um, and now they live in a world where the kids are on Zoom for school and they're on Zoom and all of that. So re- remote demos, um, Signing a contract over Zoom, meeting for the first time over Zoom is the new normal for, for construction. They've really, they've really had to kind of fast forward into, you know, technology adoption. That's been really great for, for us. Force training period allows you to not maybe spend as much on travel costs, <laughs> but it's a behavioral change for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, travel, trade shows were always a big, a big thing because that's where they can go. I think um, one of the other things actually just on the, on the growth story that work, has worked really well for us is uh, we, worked re- we, we continue to work with a number of trade associations um, and not just, you know, to try and, you know, create referrals that, you know, they get paid on and that type of thing. But try to like go and present at their user conferences or their member conferences and talk to them about like business problems, not the software that sol- helps solve that. So we'll go and showcase like, you know, this is a customer that experienced these problems and, you know, they've now been able to solve them. And here's been some of the other byproducts of that. Sometimes we don't even talk about the software and that naturally comes up at the, in the Q and a, well, how do you guys help? Um, because for our profile of customer, um, quite often they don't have um, anywhere else to go for business advice other than their trade association and maybe their like accounting, you know, finance type people that lodge their taxes and things like that. So that's been a really good um, kind of growth channel for us is really like that grassroots uh, trade association. Interesting. And so, and being just a, a resource that's not just only what your software provides, but providing, creating content that can help them. And they're like, oh yeah, you guys provide a, a platform too. Yeah. I mean, like I, I sort of wind back the clock when I was a contractor, I, I hated getting the sales pitches over and over and over again. Just like, show me the value, like show me how it's helped solve something for your other customer base and that's how we go into a lot of the trade shows and the associations we actually will talk about the value that we the, you know that, that that we can help deliver with your for your company as opposed to you know look at this shiny object and let's take you on a click fest demo that just gets lost um and you know if you can think if you can capture the value prop and share that with them in those forums you you'll you we get we get a lot of engagement that way 
for you, how, how have you learned? Where have you gone to to get insight and, and thoughts? Any books, podcasts um, that you have really uh, enjoyed and would recommend? Yeah, I've got, I've got a really great network of um, business associates, others that I'm in business with that have been great sounding boards and mentors for me over the year. Um, I work really hard on trying to network and, and not just take, but really try to give back as well. I think that's like really, really important. Um, so I'm, I'm really fortunate in that respect. Um, books, uh, God, I, re- uh, you know, there's so many business books out there. I probably read like one or two a year. I, I, I mean, I read Bloomberg. I read the wall street journal. I, I read the, the new, the business news all day, every day. Cause I think there's a ton of learnings uh, there when you hear about how companies are navigating through, you know, growth problems or COVID and things like that, that's really a bit of powerful resource for me. But um, the, the only other book that I've read, you know, in the last 12 months that comes to mind, I, I met a friend, a friend of a, a really good friend of a friend of mine in San Francisco um, is a guy by the name of Matt Mashari. And um, he wrote a book uh, called the great CEO within, I think it was. And it was, it was a, he, he spends a lot of time with really great CEOs in the Bay area, um, coaching them. He does it for free as well, which is really unique. I met him in person. I was really, really impressed with, you know, the time that we spent together. And so he released a book. I read his book. It's a great read, very tactical on how to become a great CEO, how to, um, become a great leader, how to manage, um, the problems and, and kind of as your company scales up, um, so yeah, that's a great one. And podcast last one, then I'll shut up. Um, I think, uh, this week in startups, I'm a technologist. I love Jason Kalkanis. I just think he, he's, uh, he's got a great format and he's always on the frontier in terms of, uh, in terms of, you know, great companies that are, that are being launched. Last question I have for you. What kind of technology innovations do you predict we'll see in the next year, uh, near term next year or so and long term next five years? Um, there's, I mean, there's amazing tech, you know, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's changing by the day, by the hour. For me, I, I, I think um, a lot of the low code, no code platforms that are out there now, I think that's really interesting for me personally. There's a ton of really great products in market right now. And so you can become much more efficient as a, as a leader, as a manager, you know, someone running a company with, you know, the tools like Airtable and Zapier and things like that. I know it's kind of not, you know, the sexy, you know, autonomous vehicles and and that sort of space. But for me, I just think that's actually going to move the needle for the way companies and people operate uh, in business. And and, uh, that's really actually really exciting for me. That concludes the audio version of this episode. To see the original and more, visit our Uptech Report YouTube channel. If you know a tech company we should interview, you can nominate them at uptechreport.com. Or if you just prefer to listen, make sure you subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. 